Everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. We have a very special guest today. I know I say that often and probably on every podcast, but this is actually a very, very special guest. Without this man, I would not be on the planet right now. Uh, I have my father, Dr. Charles W. Yates Jr., I being the third, who's in today. And um, Dad, I'm glad to have you in. Save the embarrassing stories for some time later. I've actually brought you in uh, to be a bona fide expert, your profession doctor, so not the giver of my life, because uh, I want to talk about COVID. I mean, I, we've just had so much in the way of discussion, what I would think is misinformation and the like, and you've been consistent talking about COVID since February of 2020. And you've been right about the the things you've said, and so I appreciate you coming on. So welcome in. Thank you, son. It's amazing when your oldest son says you've been right about something. <laughs> it took me till age fifty-two to say it, but well, I've been waiting a long time, a you, long time. You you held in there. So, well, Dad, why don't you run us through your your background real quick, your bona fides on uh, why you're actually able to talk about COVID? Well, I'm actually a retired country doctor now, but uh, I went to Rice University, Rice Institute, when I went there back in the dark ages, and uh, no tuition, right? No tuition. Wow. Made it all the way through with no tuition. Got a bachelor's degree, majoring in biology and then uh, spent three years to get a PhD also in biology with special emphasis in endocrinology. And then I spent four years at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School at Dallas, got an MD degree, did a year's internship in uh, straight medicine at uh, Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, then did a three-year residency program in radiology at the University of Texas, combined program at MD Anderson and uh, St. Joseph and Herman Hospitals in Houston. So uh, at that time, I had to apply for Social Security because I was old. (laughs) Well, before we jump into COVID, though, interesting note. when you went to med school at Southwestern, and I think it's still the case today, Parkland was actually the teaching hospital. And given that you were in med school in kind of the mid-60s, <coughs> your professors, the folks you learned from, were the guys that worked on Kennedy, right? Worked on Kennedy and Con- uh, Connolly and Jack Ruby also. That's just wild. The uh, so we won't spend a lot of time on the Kennedy assassination. Maybe in November we'll come back and, and talk more about it. But I always like your uh, point about wandering the medical records, oh. looking for Kennedy, uh, Conley, Oswalt, and uh, and uh, Ruby. Well, the way I passed the medicine portion of, of the third and fourth years was my mother taught me how to get through locked doors and open locked safes. And the 
room where they kept all the records was locked at five o'clock. At Parkland, most of the patients didn't know what they were, what was bothering them and what they were sick of, but the most important part was the old medical records. But they usually came in after five o'clock and you couldn't get the old medical records, except my mother's excellent teaching I could get through the doors and get into the locked cabinets, and soon that became my pass to to pass the courses. So uh, I have read all the original records on the Kennedy case, the Conley case, and Lee Harvey Oswald, and looked at all the original X-rays. Oh wow! The um, and I had no idea. So Nani did Nani teach you to pick locks or talk your way past security guards? Or are we not disclosing this? No, she taught me how to pick locks, how to open envelopes without your noticing it, all kinds of good stuff like that. The uh, Well, since we brought Nani up, um, we've got to tell the favorite Nani story, and then I promise audience we'll get to COVID. But dad's mom, Nani, could probably take the title as the coolest person on the world when when she was alive and one of the things she used to do for us grandchildren because there were four of us and then dad's brother terry had two sons so there were six grandchildren that she had um before we went to sleep at night she used to let us say a cuss word and that was kind of the cool thing and um anyway uh i've only heard this story i was not present but Cousin John, Cousin Michael, and my youngest brother, Bobby, because I'm the oldest of four, were all spending the night. And I think they were five, seven, and eight, six, eight, nine, somewhere in there. And Nani's getting them to bed, and she goes, okay, John, go ahead and say your cuss word. And John says, damn. Okay. Michael, go ahead and say your cuss word. Michael kind of looks around and goes, shit and then young <laughs> youngest brother bobby your son and who's probably five or six at the time nani goes all right bobby you can say your cuss word and bobby goes motherfucker <laughs> anyway that's no. my youngest son yes I'm so proud so proud but um maybe we'll start here dad and i'll just let you kind of take uh the covid discussion anywhere you want but one of the things i found interested i don't know if this is an exact quote from you but certainly the spirit of it and you've been like i said you've been saying this since before covid really even hit the united states you said yes covid is a new virus but at the same time that's like saying a baby is a new baby yes that is a new baby but we've had millions and billions of babies on this planet and we've studied them and we know that babies have a lot of very similar type traits and so a lot of what you were talking about early on was hey new virus but we know how viruses act so that's that's very true the the thing is I was very fortunate in that we were very well taught at Southwestern, and information was drummed into our heads. And very few things have changed from the way we were taught. And that's surprising because it's 55 years since I graduated from medical school. 
when they first came out and were talking about uh, COVID, graphs were presented on TV, and they said, this is how the, how the virus is spreading in China, and they put up graphs. And I looked at those graphs, and I said, they're lying. They're lying through their teeth. And everybody looked at me kind of, what are you talking about? I said, those are linear graphs, and viruses spread exponentially. Anybody who knows anything about viruses know that they, the graph of a virus spread is not a, a linear spread. So China is lying totally about this. And then when we got into the discussion of the viruses and they were talking about vaccines, they said, well, you know, uh, we don't know how long the antibodies last. Well, that's a stupid thing to say because antibodies don't last. When you have measles, you, get, you develop antibodies to the measles virus. And then when you recover, the antibodies go away. But the T cells and B cells remember, and the next time you encounter the virus, they remember, and they form plasma cells that form the antibodies that protect you in time to hold off the virus. And nobody was talking about T cells and B cells. And it wasn't until maybe eight or nine months into the uh, discussion of the virus that anybody on TV mentioned T cells or B cells. Also, they, they talk about the masks and how helpful the masks are. Only now are they saying that the cloth masks and the paper masks do no real good, that uh, only the N95 masks are effective in, in stopping the virus. And uh, the way people wear masks are just totally wrong. If you're in surgery and you wear a surgical mask, if you touch that mask during the surgery, you have to go out and scrub again because you have destroyed your sterility. You're no longer working with sterile hands. So people take their mask off, drop them under their neck, and then put them back on, or they put them in their pocket. If the mask really did catch the viruses the way they described, then every time you touched them with your hands, you'd be infecting your hands. So they do, they do little good. To say that it's a safe distance to social distancing of six feet is uh, safe is ridiculous. That was based on research done in the 1800s and was just put up by a doctor at the time when it was asked how far apart you should stay. He just conveniently said six feet, and it's been taken as gospel ever since. I can sneeze 20 feet on just a routine sneeze, and I'm no expert. So there's so much baloney that's going on. Then people say, well, you've got to get the vaccine. I believe in the vaccine. I really do. I think they're the greatest thing, and I think that the drug companies should be commended in that they got working vaccines that offer good protection in such a short period of time. But I also believe in natural immunity, 
So if you've had COVID and you've recovered from it, then you ought to have, unless you're immunosuppressed or on some type of drug that suppresses your immune system, you ought to have great immunity. And I'm very glad that the Israeli studies have now shown this, that natural immunity is 13 times better than the immunity brought forth by either Moderna or Pfizer vaccines. So the natural immunity is great. They work in the same relative way in that they present a substance that the body recognizes as foreign and builds antibodies against it. So they work in the same way. But the vaccines present one substance, whereas with the natural immunity, your body's immunity, you have the opportunity to get several proteins that are in the in the virus. So you, this gives you additional immunity. Yeah, let me let me let me let's drill down on that because there there are two points there that I think you see out as and I'm going to call it misinformation. But you know this whole notion that a vaccine could work and natural immunity wouldn't just makes no sense to me, right? Because doesn't the vaccine just convince the body that, that, that in effect the virus is present, it has the body immune system fire up, create the recipe on how to fight it off, so that when the real virus actually shows up later, you don't have a three or four day period of trying to figure it out. You can hit the ground running, your immune system. Right. This, this vaccine has messenger RNA in it, which convinces the... Uh, cell to make a protein, a spike-like protein that has put out the uh, T cells and B cells recognize this the same way they would recognize it if it came from the virus. It's the same protein that's on the spike of the virus. And in the same process, it recognizes that as a foreign protein and does the same process that is converts to plasma cells. The plasma cells then make the antibodies which attack the, uh, the virus, and the virus then is destroyed by the T cells. Gotcha. Because the... It's the same process for both the things. It's just how, how the, this vaccine causes the, the uh, cell to recognize a foreign protein. Yeah, the way I heard it described in layman's terms, and you may have even been the one that that said it, is historically vaccines were a deadened or weakened version of the virus so that when it got introduced, the body said, boom, that's it. Let's learn how to fight it. Great, now that we know. With these vaccines, because it's literally focused on one of the proteins, the spike protein, if you will, on the outside, it's... um, it might the way maybe to put it is we're not if I if Chuck Yates were the virus we're not having a weakened version of Chuck Yates but th- these vaccines are saying the hoodie if you see a hoodie attack go attack it, it attack the hoodie and now the Johnson and Johnson virus does not use messenger RNA it actually uses components of the virus so it's different in right. its mechanism now. <clears throat> The, the fact that uh, the messenger RNA creates one particular protein, 
indicates that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are not going to be as effective to the new mutant strains because the protein will have changed a little bit. Now, there's still some cross-reactivity, but it's not as good as the natural immunity because the natural immunity, in addition to the spike protein, has other proteins that it can attack. So when you had, because you and mom both both had COVID, when you had COVID, your immune system said there's a virus and there are 25 different proteins involved with that virus let's go attack all of it right and so your body your t-cells b-cells appear and we don't know how long it's gonna gonna last but at least it appears to this point they know the recipe to go fight off those 25 ish proteins me knock on wood i haven't had it yet but i had the moderna vaccine my body knows how to fight off that one protein. Right. And the fact that probably all the spikes of all the mutants are going to be fairly similar says that you're going to have some protection from, from your vaccination. It may not be as great as, and that's what the research is showing. Uh, I've seen two studies, the Israeli study and another one I cannot remember. Israeli study said that the Natural immunity was 13 times greater than the virus, than the vaccine. The others had six and a half times more effective than the vaccine. And especially for the variants that the uh, natural immunity was, was more protective. Gotcha. The, so so let's, let's circle back to the vaccine. So we've given however many hundreds of millions of shots of it. And I'll get you to, you know, true or false and and feel free to opine on this statement. At least what I've read is historically with vaccines, we generally know kind of the problems in three to six months. And there's not a whole lot of history of taking a vaccine, having no problems for five years and then something pop up. Is that generally right? That's generally quite true. Usually, if you haven't had significant problems within six months, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, you're not going to have significant problems. So we've gone six months. We've gone more than six months since the vaccine was first tested, and we've not seen a large number of significant problems. So we're probably not going to see more significant long-term problems. Can I say that with 100% assurance? No, but that's the greatest likelihood. And and here's the interesting part about saying we haven't seen, there. there's a little worrisomeness on my part in that I haven't seen a source really where they're they're reporting or compiling or tabulating the negative reactions to the vaccine. I mean, how's the you've been looking at it a lot more than I have. I mean, do you do you see sources like that? Because anecdotally, you hear about heart problems with with folks and <clears throat> right. There are a few number of cases, usually in males of uh, myocarditis and pericarditis following the uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. 
there are central venous thrombosis uh, in a very few cases, mainly females, following the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine. The, the numbers are very, very small, but they do occur. Uh, so my, my wife and I have elected not to get vaccines, even though uh, the higher-ups suggest that even if you've had COVID, you should get vaccines, because I feel that I'm protected by my natural immunity. I have had my antibodies checked, and I have uh, had abundant antibodies produced. And why should I run the risk that I'm one of the very few that would develop myocarditis or would develop uh, <coughs> central venous thrombosis? So that's why we have elected not to get the vaccine. We're not anti-vax at all. Right, because I, I think the Israeli study said that natural immunity plus, and I think the standard is 90 days after getting vaccinated, provides a little bit of an increase in potentially efficacy against the virus. But what you're saying is the, that that's outweighed by possible side effects of the vaccine. But also you've talked about that, you know, a supercharged immuno event might happen in response to the, a the, vaccine. The people, and there are very few, who have seen significant reactions to the virus have had their immune system revved up in such that the immune system has attacked their own tissue. This is what has happened with the myocarditis and the pericarditis, where their own immune system is attacking their own normal cells. And uh, the, the way they, I'm not sure how they measured it, but they said that those who've had COVID and who get the injections have their immune system boosted by 140%. And I don't know what units they were using to measure that, but that to me sounds worrisome because I don't want an overactive immune system because your autoimmune diseases occur when you have an overactive immune system that attacks normal tissue. Right. The um, And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, I mean, we and this is any virus. This isn't just COVID. When you get it and you fight it off, you shed a lot of the virus and over two, three, four weeks, whatever, but you still have dead virus in your body from that incident for a year or even 18 months, right? That's exactly right. You can shed virus up to 18 months later when you're perfectly well and it's dead virus that you're shedding. And so this is where a lot of, I think, and this is Charlie Yates' opinion, that a lot of the false positive COVID tests are coming coming from that you're shedding dead virus and the COVID tests don't distinguish between dead virus remnants and live virus, as I understand it. So uh, I know my wife has had a positive COVID test that was false. And I think you have had a positive COVID test 
that was false. Yeah, I had I had the I had the rapid right. test, and so the you know it it just potentially whiffed because I, I it was rapid positive. I wound up with PCR negative. The friend I had traveled with was PCR negative, and three weeks later I got the antibodies test and had no antibodies. So the doctor was was pretty sure it was just a rapid test negative. Well, um, Mr. Uh, Elon Musk had four COVID tests run in, at the same lab on the same day, two of which were positive and two of which were negative. So I guess he could take his choice of what he wanted to believe. Yeah, no, I've got a friend uh, up in Telluride who's a physical therapist, and I think you've met Mark at some yes, point. Yes, Mark's a sharp guy. Mark's thoroughly convinced that none of these tests are better than 70%, you know, so it just... I, I think that's pretty and, good. And that's his opinion, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, so so kind of to put that into practical uh, terms, I'll say this as a statement, and you can disagree or agree or expound. At least the data you're seeing is, to this point, it feels like COVID is one and done. You get it. Uh, you get past it, you've developed natural immunity to it, and the cases that we see of, well, I had it twice, I tested positive, you know, three and six months apart. One, if you have immuno issues, okay, all bets are off there, but it could be the case of you got COVID, you had symptoms, you tested positive, you fought it off, you have your natural immunity, you caught a flu, or a cold three to six months later, and you have symptoms, you go get tested again, the testing potentially picks up a dead virus. Exactly, that exactly. that's quite, quite feasible. And uh, I'm sure it happens a great deal. COVID is a bad disease for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people have died of it. A lot of people have been hospitalized for it. And it's bad, I'm not downplaying at all the, the disease. It's bad and you ought to get vaccinated. We got, my wife and I got sick before there was a vaccine. So we had no choice. If we were gonna live, we had to use our own immune systems. And we both did and we weren't hospitalized fortunately. And we were both recovered. We both had antibody tests done, both showed uh, abundant antibodies, and so we feel like we were very, very fortunate. And I feel very sorry for the people who did not have the opportunity for a vaccine, who got it and got very sick and were hospitalized, or who died. But uh, there's been so much misinformation given out about this disease that pe people really don't know what to think. Yeah. The so. Where we kind of sit now and the kind of evidence we're, we're seeing, um, I'll kind of lay out, we'll go into recommendations for folks. So recommendation number one, don't let me put words in your mouth, but if you're between the ages of 16 to 100 or however, you should go get the vaccine. If you have not had COVID, go get the vaccine very definitely your choice is whatever's available for you they're all efficacious about it equally there's different arguments for pfizer or moderna uh, and johnson johnson 
Johnson Johnson only requires one injection. The other two require two injections separated by several weeks. Uh, if you haven't had the vaccine, get it. Okay. My recommendation is if you have had COVID, then you can take your choice. But I would go and see, have your antibodies checked. If you have antibodies produced, proving that you have COVID, have had COVID and that you have had, you do have immunity, then I think you could take your choice and you can either choose to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated. I think then that choice is a political matter because if they're going to make you have to have a vaccination card to get on a bus or to go to a movie or go to get eat in a restaurant, you may have to get the vaccination whether you want to or not. Otherwise, use your intellect and think which way is the, is the safest way for me and mine to, to go. And, and okay, so, so get vaccinated. There are some potential side effects. The, they, they appear to be small in number. The flip side is, I mean, when you look at the numbers of people that have been vaccinated and have caught COVID, I mean, it's basically zero that are dying and 0.0001 that even have to go to the hospital. So it does, it does appear... I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's not 100%. You still have a chance of catching it again. But at the end of the day, it, the head start your immune system has is, seems is, to help. It's very effective. It's very helpful. Yes, definitely get, get the vaccine. So, so have you seen – so, okay, um, here's kind of what I've been reading is that and I don't know if this is information coming from politicians or whether these are studies, but it appears to be that the efficacy of the vaccines start waning at kind of six to nine months, or at least that's what's been said. Have we seen any real data to that, or is that politics? Uh, there is some data that the vaccine, they definitely show decrease in antibodies at six months Okay, that's not unusual because the antibodies always go away. Right. But the T cells and B cells, which are your memory of your immune system, persist. Right. We know now that from natural immunity that the T cells and B cells persist at least two years. Right. At at relatively full strength. Because okay. that your whole point there is, if that didn't happen, we'd just see tons of people catching it again. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. It, everybody would get it and then get it again. Right. You know, so uh, the T cells and the B cells stay around, but you don't like right now. I'm about a year out from uh, when I had the COVID, and uh, I don't have probably don't have circulating antibodies. Yep. But I've got T cells and B cells. Right. Okay. So uh, the thing is, they don't know how long the T cells and B cells that are formed with the vaccine are going to last. And this is the concern. They're measuring them, and they do last. They do seem to be not as long-lasting as 
that of your natural immune system. But this is still iffy. We're still not, we still haven't gone long enough after the, the after the vaccinations to to be sure of that. Gotcha. Because that's I mean some vaccines appear to to work forever. Measles, right? Right. Work, works forever, but some, I mean, in Diphtheria, this... pertussis, tetanus, you have to get boosters. Every every 10 years or so, right? right? Yeah. So, right. So T uh, cells and B cells do forget the recipe. They do forget. But truthfully, with tetanus, tetanus is probably the most universal vaccine that has worked. In the Second World War, all the soldiers that were in the South Pacific, you know, with rusting material to get tetanus in the war, everybody getting shot, all this sort of stuff. Only one person got tetanus of the armed services, and they proved, checking his record, that he was a a conscientious objector to vaccines, and he didn't take the vaccine. So so the tetanus Tetanus vaccine works works. (laughs) just every 10 years. Make sure you get your booster. Interesting. So, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to. Now, what should we do about people? They're talking about the uh, having to get booster shots now for the vaccine. And this is uncharted territory as far as I'm concerned, because uh, we don't know whether you need the booster shots or not. There's a big argument. Uh, people at the uh, FDA, I place, I think it was, or CDC, one or the other, resigned the two head people because Biden came out saying that we're going to set up a program to give booster shots to people after eight months, and they hadn't approved it. Yeah, that was the FDA, FDA. the two officials right. there. And they uh, they resigned because they said, you know, hey, that's our job to say when, when to say when. And so uh, there's some controversy about that, and I don't honestly know whether you're going to have to get a booster shot every so often or not. And I think it's really too early to say, but probably to err on the safe side, if you had safe administration of the first two shots, I would probably say, yeah, it's it's going to be safe to get the third shot. The and and the the so the so the theory that potentially we need a booster. Let's say Biden's right. Yeah. And he's basing it on science. Yeah, exactly. Should have seen the face Dad just made. But yes, um, is is you see antibodies waning. Can they actually can we test the T cells yes, and B yes. cells to know whether they know the recipe? Yes, or not? they're working on that right now. And there are articles on measuring T cells and B cells. And the, it is possible to do that, and that's what they're trying to do right now to see whether the T, they know that the T cells and B cells last for at least two years with natural immunity. They have measured them, and they exist, and they are protective. Now, let me ask this. Is a T cell and a B cell unique to COVID, meaning if yes. you— Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, it's unique to the proteins— that it was has identified. 
Okay, so in the case of natural immunity, you're 20, 25 proteins that the virus has. Right, and with the with the other one, we're just the sp spike protein. Right. Okay, so the natural immunity is going to give you more cross-immunity to other SARS viruses that uh, the uh, Moderna and Pfizer probably won't give you as much cross-immunity to. Gotcha, gotcha. So we, so we, so... And, and I guess this is the two officials from the FDA is, hey, we're doing those studies right now. Why would you say anything? That's right. That's, so, that's their point that, uh, look, we're doing the studies. We, ha we haven't had time enough to see how long they're, they're going to last. We've only had the vaccine X amount of time. We need more time with our, our studies to see. Gotcha, gotcha, and that, and I, I've, I've heard historically, it actually took a little bit of time to figure out exactly what you needed to do to create the maximum efficacy with a vaccine. Uh, I heard somebody make the point the other day that, and I forget which one it was, but let's say it's the measles vaccine, and I'm probably wrong about this, but you know, you get a shot when you're four, five, and six, and they figure out that's the best. And this person was high, you know, hypothesizing that, in effect, you know, Pfizer two weeks apart, Moderna four weeks apart or three weeks apart. Um, that that may be just one quote unquote shot, if you will. It's one immuno event since it kind of happens close together, and it may turn out that the way we get maximum efficacy out of this thing is you get. A shot and then six months later you get a shot and then six months later you get another one and you're done we just don't know that exactly yet. exactly <clears throat> we're too close to it to have worked out all of the all the details they have done one hell of a job in coming up with these vaccines in that short time usually to develop a vaccine is going to take eight or ten years to, to develop the vaccine and do all the testing. I mean, they've really pulled out all the stops, and it's really amazing when you see what they've accomplished. So I, I applaud them for the, the work they've done. Yeah. No, that's uh, – um, there. there's a little bit of evidence because I, I believe it was England where England made the choice of we have limited amount of vaccine, let's get everybody one shot. And it wound up, I think, three months later, you got the second shot. And it seems to be that the early, early, early results is that is that maybe it's holding better. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And where in Israel, you're you're seeing the Delta variant cases kind of spike in Israel. Now, albeit very mild. I mean, no one's right. no one's really going to the hospital and no one's dying from it. But but definitely people are getting vaccinated people are getting infected with it so so that's that's kind of on our list to to study and watch and is it as simple as this if for whatever reason the the vaccine um last let's call it six months to a year the b and the t cells kind of from that is it you potentially wind up having an annual booster every year is it is it going to be if they wear out like that, we're ultimately all just going to get it? I have read one article that a virologist says, 
look, we're ultimately all going to have to get it. Yeah. That the vaccine, T cells and B cells, are not going to last. And I have read other articles that said, no, they're going to last, and but we may have to get boosters every five years or at some interval. Yeah. So it's too close. We don't know. Right. Yeah. Now that uh that makes a that makes a lot of sense. So um it's still it's still kind of amazing to me that you know when you look younger than 60 and in good health it's really just covid's not that bad. You know. Unless I, unless you're immunosuppressed, you have or you have a malignancy or something like that that screws up your immune system, and you're young and healthy, you're going to do fine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the, th- the thing is your parents are both too fat, both right at 80 years old, both diabetic, both hypertensive, and everything, and we survived it, but it was our years of clean living that did it. <laughs> and, uh, in all seriousness, though, I mean, you you said that, you know, you were in a hospital every day for 40 years or, or however long, and, and there have been, what, 12 or 13 or 14 coronaviruses over that 40-year period that have made their way through, and you told Charlie one night, I know I caught all of them and I brought them home to your grandmother. And so we may not have had COVID, but we had their cousin. So we should be able to fight it off better than the person that's never had a coronavirus. That's right. Back when I was growing up, polio was the big scourge. It was just a horrible disease and everybody was scared in the summertime you were going to have polio epidemics everywhere. And you know who got the most damage from polio? Physicians' kids. Why? Because usually in physicians' families, they kept a cleaner household, and they washed up before meals and did things such as that. My mother never believed in the germ theory, and so we didn't worry about germs, <laughs> and so we never got polio. But uh, anyway, yeah. I believe that if you're exposed when you're healthy, if you're exposed to the germs, you build up an, a protective immune system that'll see you through. Yeah, no, it it, it is interesting that a lot of the what I'll call diseases we we see today that are quote-unquote new, it's an interesting theory that, yeah, we're a lot cleaner. I mean, we don't run around and play in the mud. We don't lick, you know, the dog's bowl and stuff like that. And Don't drink out of the garden hose. <laughs> exactly. Don't have the lead garden hose <laughs> that we drink out of. And so, anyway. Well, Dad, appreciate you, uh, you coming on and explaining this to all of us. The... You know, it's it, like I said, we've just seen so much stuff out there that it's um, it's nice to kind of hear your take on it. And the thing I will say to the readers is or listeners is 
you know, you've been saying a lot of these things, almost all of this since, like I said, before we even went into quarantine. And what you've said is has borne out right. So I want to say one one thing right now that I remember from medical school. T cells are T cells and B cells are made in the bone marrow. Okay. Okay. They come from stem cells. Stem cells can develop into most anything, given the proper stimulus. But T cells and B cells both come from uh, from the bone marrow, and T cells mature, become grown-up T cells in the thymus gland. Okay, hence T cells. Oh, gotcha. Okay, B cells were first discovered in chickens, and all birds have a lymph organ that is called the bursa of fabricius. Okay, bursa of fabricius in all fowl, all chickens, birds, etc. And the B cells develop in the bursa of fabricius, hence B cells. There is no specific organ in mammals that corresponds exactly to uh, the bursa of fabricius, but there are patches of lymph cells, lymph cells in the colon called Peyer's patches that are collections of B cells in the human body. So B cells from bursa, T cells from th- thymus. Well, now, now you've been educated and that's all I know. Well, and uh, I will have to bring up to the listeners the horrors I had to live under because we used to have thermometers when we were young. They were red. That one had a red end and one had a blue end. And you would, whenever you'd have to take our temperature, you'd stick the thermometer in our mouth. And if it had the red end, you'd always say, "Now, what's that? Red for R for rectal?" <laughs> and then you do the same thing with the the blue one. You put it in our mouth. Was it blue for B for butt? <laughs> so, and they all survived. And we all survived. The uh, And I always said the best doctoring advice I always got is I'd walk up to you and say, Dad, it really hurts when I do this. Don't do it then. <laughs> exactly. I one anecdotal st- study on Charlie, who is Chuck's, My eldest. Ch- Chuck's eldest, was up in college in Massachusetts. And uh, I got a call from Charlie who said, Grandpa, I've been to the uh, nurse's station. I have abdominal pain, and they told me, they gave me some Pepto-Bismol and told me to go to class. And then Charlie gave me a very good description of the pain in the abdomen that was just like an acute appendicitis. And I said, Charlie, go directly to a hospital, an emergency room, and tell them that you have a hot appendix. And so what did Charlie do? He calls Dad and says, Dad, Grandpa always tells me when I tell him something hurts not to do it. But now he tells me to go to the emergency room. What should I do? And <laughs> in fairness, I said, you go to the freaking emergency room, Charlie. So they took out charlie's appendix and charlie's fine and charlie's fine cool 
Grandpa, thank you for coming on. You're welcome.